we're going to go to Exodus 20 real quick here. And uh, how, do you, how do you preach on the fourth commandment? Uh, Sabbath keeping. Well, I'm probably going to have some people going and looking up scripture before it's over with. Some of the conclusions we come to. But here we are uh, in God giving these ten commandments to the people of Israel. Do you think the Jewish population took the commandments serious or seriously? Do you think that they took Sabbath keeping serious when it's told that if you break it, you're going to get stoned? I think that would raise a level <laughs> of keeping that commandment. But when you see the confrontations between Jesus and the religious leaders when he was in ministry, there was, a, a, there was kind of a warped view in the religious leaders about that commandment. You remember that? He healed a woman one time who was bent over, deformed from a spinal malady for years. And when he healed her, the complaint from these religious leaders was, you did that on the Sabbath. There's six days to do healing. We don't want you doing that on the Sabbath. And he said to them something of this nature. You're permitted on the Sabbath to get an animal out of trouble, to get an ox out of trouble, to get your donkey out of trouble. And shouldn't this woman, and he pointed to her, a child of Abraham deserve the same kind of care? In other words, he said, how dare you put an animal ahead of a woman who's like 18 years or so that's been bent over in this deformed state, and now she's standing straight up, healed for the glory of God. And all they can do is point to it that you did that on Saturday. Monday, you know, Sunday through Friday, you can do that, but not on Saturday, their Sabbath. So I wondered how modern Israel keeps the Sabbath. I've been privileged to be in Jerusalem and Israel twice, and I can tell you from experience, in the Jewish quarters of Jerusalem, it shuts down when it gets dark on Friday night. It just shuts down. You can't find a coffee shop. You can't find any, you hardly find anybody on the streets because there's these orthodox rule keepers that are still around watching for somebody doing something. I've understood that they've even thrown rocks at ambulances driving through that quarters because they don't believe you should do that either. So is that still, they're still there. The same people that just was always confrontational with Jesus. And then you go over to Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is the largest city in Israel. It's one of the most secular cities in the world, really. And I went and I researched this, uh, this Italian couple's got this website called The Crowded Planet. And they, they just travel all over the world, and then they tell you what you can do and what you can expect, and where they, they give you all kind of ideas, where's the good lodging, where's the most inexpensive lodging. And uh, believe me, there's some options I wouldn't want to use, but the hostels that they uh, mentioned, like, I, I know that would not work for us, Brenda. You, you wouldn't want to stay in a hostel. Like a 12-bed hostel, how about that? Well, we could just meet people, you know, just like, it'd be so much, no, no. <laughs> but I thought, what is it like in Tel Aviv on the Sabbath? Well, all transit systems shut down. I was surprised to hear that. And uh, you, can, you can rent a bicycle. You, as a, a tourist, or as a visitor, can get away with things, but 
the beaches open, but all the services pretty much shuts down in Tel Aviv of all places. So when you look at the, we're going to look at this fourth commandment. It starts in verse 8 here in a minute. But when you look at it, one of the things you'll notice when you turn in your Bibles to chapter 20 of Exodus, that this is the most worded commandment out of all the ten. It's explained more. It's, it has more content to it. And I thought, well, why is that? It's talking about Saturday, their Sabbath day. But let's go to it. We're going to start with verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20. And, and the first thing we're going to look at is this first word as it starts off, remember. But read it with me. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, which would be Saturday, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed that day, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. And one of the first things that kind of stands out to me when I'm reading all these commandments and going over them is that this is the only commandment that begins with that first word. And it kind of gives me the idea when he says, remember, you can only remember something that you've already been introduced to, right? So at some point before, before Mount Sinai was covered up with smoke and thunder and fire and, and, the, and it was shaking and God came down and with his own hand wrote those ten commandments on two tablets of stone, before any of that happened, it looks as though that the fourth commandment was a reminder. It was not an introduction to the Sabbath principle, but it was a reminder to them that they've already been exposed to this idea of Saturday or the Sabbath being set apart. Not, and on Friday morning, it kind of really sunk into the people of Israel. Here's two million, we talked about this in Sunday school, about two million probably a minimum of 2 million people of Israel, Jewish people, heading out of Egypt on this. You're talking about a caravan. We, we hear about caravans trying to come through, through Central America. But you got like at least 2 million people, at least 2 million people coming in as a group, migrating with tents. These were all mobile people. And what do you do for water? And what do you do for food? Well, God had an answer for that, did he? Before the Ten Commandments come, God, at least in that moment, instituted a Sabbath principle with the manna. This is kind of like uh, bread-like flakes. Like it would be like the dew on the ground, but it, it, uh, I think it even suggested it had a kind of like a honey flavor taste to it. And every morning it would show up when they got up. The, the ground was covered with this manna, and that's what fed them. They also got some quail later, but, you know, after a while they didn't want quail anymore. <laughs> you know, you have to read it and understand why I'm saying that. But every morning they could collect enough to eat that day, right? And they were told, do not try to keep this overnight. And if you tried to keep it overnight... I call it the buffet spirit got a hold of them. 
you know, they're going to get more than what they can eat, it would produce worms and spoil. But get this, on Friday morning, God would change the recipe. And he would add a two-day preservative to the manna. You know why? Because on Saturday morning, there was no manna. The cook was off in heaven. The ovens were off. And he would tell them, you'll get enough Friday morning for the next two days because you're not to collect and do work at all on the Saturday, the Sabbath. And it was like he was already telling them this principle. Now, we know that God appeared to Abraham, right? When he's in the Chaldean culture, a pagan culture, an idolatrous culture. And they worshiped idols. God called Abraham out of that culture. And somewhere along the line, God revealed to Abraham that he is the real true God that created all things, created the heavens and the earth. And I just happened to believe that in some point of that, that revelation, Abraham heard this. Abraham heard that in six days, God created everything. And he rested on the seventh day. So it could very well possibly, this principle, go all the way back to the patriarchs. But at least we know that in their trek to the promised land, every day, Sunday through Friday morning, they would go out and collect something that reminded them every week that the next day was no work. Heaven didn't produce any more bread for them, any more manna, and they were to not do any work and commit that day to the Lord. Now, look at the rest of that verse in, in your second subpoint. If you got the bulletin, you flipped it across. I, sometimes I don't stick to the script, so I may or may not today. But it, I, I put down, keep it holy. Because this is what he said. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, how do you keep a day holy? What constitutes what you do with a day that makes it holy. Is it holy because you don't do anything? Now, that's the way some people think they get holy. They don't smoke. They don't chew. They don't drink. They don't curse. So they must be holy, right? Well, that's the way people used to define holiness, is what you didn't do. Well, we know that that doesn't make anybody holy. So he couldn't be saying that not working, or you say, well, obeying it. But if obeying it was only just, I'm not going to do anything that I'm not supposed to do, does that make the day holy? I don't think it does. I really think there's a different principle here. When he says, keep it holy, I believe what he was telling them is that that day, that day is not your day. That day is my day. And anything associated with God that's his is what? It's holy. And he says, you can do your work those other six days, but on that day, that day belongs to me. And think about this. When Israel would go through seasons where they would get off course on this commandment, and usually if they got off course on this commandment, they were pretty much off course of all of them. Because this tied in with their worship. They would have Sabbath school. They would, they would read the word or listen to the stories of the patriarchs. And they would devote that day to the Lord. That's why it was holy. And when they got off track, God would speak to them. Now, there's a prophet that we don't read too much. 
because he's got all these visions that he sees, wheels turning within the wheels and different things going on. But if you start at the front end of Ezekiel's prophecy, you realize that he was called up as a prophet to preach to the exiles. Judah has already fallen into the hands of Babylonians. And God called Ezekiel to stay in the exile, the refugee camps, and keep preaching that they would keep their distinctiveness about people of God. Listen to what Ezekiel, what the Lord spoke through Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 16, where he says, Because they despise my judgment, he's speaking through Ezekiel to the exiles. Because they despise my judgment, walk not in my statutes, but polluted my Sabbaths. They made profane my Sabbaths by not keeping them as a day unto me. This is why, really truly, one of the neat things I like about coming in here is the first 15 or 20 minutes is Jesus' time. That's the way. I don't look at it as, as a song service or a music. That's his time. That belongs to him. That doesn't belong to anything else or anybody else. You know, and I can't wait for the first note and for us to give Jesus his time. And this is what he's telling him. He says, you've polluted my Sabbath because you haven't honored me there. You haven't given that day to me. You've taken and you've done whatever you wanted to with it. They could have not done anything but not focusing on the Lord in his eyes was profaning his Sabbath. In two chapters later, some of the same things, but this time he calls the priest out. These are the leaders who, that who should know better. He said, her leaders have violated the law and have profaned my holy things. How do you profane God's holy things? You do disrespect to them and or you use them for something else other than God's purpose. If we take Sunday or any day and the time that we need to give to the Lord for anything else, we kind of pollute that day. They have put no difference. Listen, he continues. They put no difference between the holy and the profane. They haven't determined what belongs to me and what belongs to this world. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. When they've ignored the Sabbaths, God says, that, I take that as you're thinking unholy of me. And the Sabbaths, you look at he calls them his Sabbaths. When they didn't differentiate the Sabbaths from other days, God declared that you're profaning not only the day, but you're profaning me. You know, by the way, this is where probably somebody's going to take exception with this. is all right, you know. I'm, I'm pastoring today, so I'm kind of happy to pastor today. Sunday did not replace Saturday as our Sabbath. I guarantee you it's not my Sabbath. It's never been my Sabbath. So if you're not supposed to do any work on Sunday, I'm toast. <laughs> Would y'all sit around here and kind of osmosis just feel, the, you know, teaching? But it's, it was, you, you go and find in the New Testament any place that says Saturday was trans over, transferred over to Sunday. Because I grew up where you just didn't do things on Sunday. My dad would not shop on Sunday for no reason at all. And when stores in town started opening on Sunday, 
He just told the, he told the Winn-Dixie manager, I'm going to shop somewhere else. Well, after a while, he didn't have anywhere to shop. He was going to boycott them, especially when, you know, Talladega County went, dry, went wet, and he's like, we're not going to do it. And then Shelby County went wet. Well, we, we had to buy food somewhere. But it, it, you never will find that Sunday replaced Saturday. And I'll show you a passage of Scripture that tells you that when you make that distinction, that's okay if it's convinced in your own mind that that's what you're supposed to do. I want to take you to Romans 14, and, and I want to tell you something. Everybody ought to turn the page in their Bible at Romans 14 and read it just occasionally. Because we all differ on a lot of things. You know, my dad, when I go visit my uh, Aunt Blanche up in Kentucky, she was on President Jimmy Carter's Council on the Aging and and she was, she was a Democrat. And Daddy would say, do not talk politics with Aunt Blanche. You're not, it's not going to go well. And then you just think about some of the times people get besides each other and differed with each other on political things. But you ought to read 14 occasionally. I want to take you to verse 5. Listen to this. This is such a neat verse. Because let me tell you before I read it. Why is Sunday so special to us? If it's not the Sabbath, Pastor, why is Sunday so special? I'll tell you why Sunday's so special. It was somebody defeated death on Sunday. Somebody came out of a tomb that had a big old stone in front of it that didn't need to move the stone. Angels moved the stone to let people see that the person that had been in that tomb was no longer there. The clothes that wrapped around him when he died were there, but he wasn't there. Jesus rose from the dead. That makes Sunday our celebration day. It's not a Sabbath day. It's our celebration day. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. This is what makes this day different. But listen to Romans 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. You don't have to say amen, but you can say amen. Yeah, that's me. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. There's so much neat things in 14. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. Whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. Boy, we ought to underline this verse. None of us lives for our lives, for ourselves alone. Because we can really get independent quick, can't we? Well, if it's what I want to do, I want to do it. It doesn't matter if it affects anybody else. That doesn't fit there. That spirit doesn't fit there. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And whatever belongs to the Lord is what? Holy. This is what he's getting at. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life. There's the point. He returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So then... Why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before the judge, God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will uh, acknowledge God, 
So then each of us will give an account of our, ourselves to God. Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. There is the key. You know, I remember somebody, we, 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 we did something on Sunday one time years ago. And they had a, the youth had a softball game out there on that vacant lot. And so a dear friend of mine challenged me the following week. Is it true that they were out there on Sunday playing baseball on the church property? I said, no, it's, that's not true. They were actually playing softball. Well, you know what I mean. I says, I, I, I do. I know what you mean. I, I know what you mean, but it was softball. Well, he, he, he got a little mad at me. But my daddy worked at a paper mill. Do you, see, do you see how quick we can adjust things to fit our situation? I work swing shift the same. I went to work. I graduated on Monday night. I went in on midnight shift at the paper mill but I had like a two-day lecture from one W.B. Lynn who let me know that it would not go well for me if wherever I worked in the meal that he heard a report of this and this and this. And so I went there with a heaviness on me. But we, work, we had to work on Sundays. There's, there's nurses. There's nurses. Aren't you glad for people that are manning DCH? And people don't walk out of the ICU and say, well, it's, it's Sunday, and I'm sorry, I can't work on Sunday. I, I will pray for you that you'll make it until I get back tomorrow. <laughs> Do you see? But we, we make, I'm just telling you, we can make all kind of accommodations for ourselves, but then we can look at something and just kind of become like a Pharisee. And we, make, we want to make a mountain out of a molehill. Isn't it better for them to be here on Sunday Doing something together than on Saturday? I, I think so. Well, that's what I think. Well, what about our work? I'm going to try to finish this up. The next three are going to go real quick, so hang in here with me. Hey, it could be this. I know you're not going to like this part of the commandment. Do you know if you took this commandment literally, you can't have a five-day work week. You have to have a six-day work week. And shame on us if we're not working six days. I'm, I look at, I'm just telling you, look at verse 9. Six days you shall labor. It is not saying, eh, if you want to, you can work six days. That's not what it says, right? How many love this commandment already? Just like, oh, I don't want to. A 40-hour a week. I want a six-day. I wanted them to work me to the core. <laughs> six days you will work. What is God saying there? He's saying six days you will work. <laughs> well, they didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> they were nomadic. They were heading somewhere. But six days... But we don't look at it like that. We like, like, you know, how many kind of see work kind of develop a negative connotation to it? Like, oh, people like break out in whips if you tell them you need to go work or something. 
They have an allergic reaction to it. I think what God is doing here, he's, he's putting a work ethic in front of them that he says, I value what you do. And do all of it. He, does, he doesn't say, you know, just go do something. He says, finish your work. Why would he tell them to do all of it? What does he call them to do? He's calling them to come and stand alongside him who created all things in six days. And it says he rested on the seventh day. How does God rest? Well, you know, we rest because we get tired. And there were some tired people went home last night. But God is, doesn't get tired. He rested because he was finished. And it's kind of like he's saying, you know, the best experience you have in your work is when you accomplish what you set out to do. And everybody who's ever painted a room, ever did something, ever worked on their car, did something in the yard, took down a tree, did their yard work, did, did their flower beds, that last piece of mulch, that last finished touch on the paint, you step back and it's like, that's good. And you realize when God did that, he said, that's good. And he said it before anybody was there to hear him say it. Why would he say it? Because he's he was like prophesying in advance that when you're doing your work and you get there, you get it done and you finish it. There's a feeling of accomplishment, isn't there? But what about his work? I'm saying I'm going to go fast here. Listen to this. Here's some of the things God does. God saves. That's a work, isn't it? God heals. That's a work. God delivers. That's a work. God comforts. He lifts up. He brings protection. He leads us. God also corrects us because he loves us. He doesn't want us to go offline, right? God instructs us. He does all of this in a perfect way. All of this is the work of God. But maybe the greatest passage is that whatever is happening in our life that's working toward God started with him. He was the initiator. This is Jim's favorite verse in the Bible, Philippians 2.13. For it is God which works... It is God which worketh in us both to will. In other words, the motivation, the very compulsion to do something and to do it to his good pleasure. This is the matter of God's rest. God works in us to give us his rest. So we're not having to save ourselves. By the way, there's a lot of people who's trying to be their own God, their own Savior, and their own Lord, and we are miserable and trying to do that. We don't make very good saviors. We make really lousy lords and masters. We mess up so quick, we kind of lose that lordship really fast. But it says God's work in us is to give us the motivation and the strength to do it. And this last is God's rest. What is his rest? Well, there's a passage in Hebrew that says, there remaineth a rest for the people of God. But in Mark 2, verse 26, Jesus is again being challenged by these people about Sabbath breaking. And this is what they do. They go through a cornfield and they pluck some ears of corn, the disciples, 
and they start eating it. Now, I just can't fathom eating raw corn. That could not be, they must be really hungry. But it was Sabbath, it was Saturday, and they were not supposed to do that. And here comes these watchdogs. You know, your, your guys are out there pulling ears of corn and eating them, and it's the Sabbath. You remember what Jesus said to them? He said two things to them. He said, well, I remember that David and his buddies went into the temple area where the priest was only supposed to go, and they ate the consecrated bread. That, that's written back there. Because they were hungry, <laughs> and there was bread. Yeah, the priests were the only ones supposed to eat it, but God was okay because they were hungry. It was okay that he went, they went in and ate the bread because they were hungry, and he really didn't need David and his men to starve to death. And then he said this to him, and this, this is really kind of takes, takes it back to this original verse. He said this, the Sabbath was made for men, not man for the Sabbath. There's a huge difference there. The Sabbath was supposed to be a working principle. And, and I want to tell you, and the praise team can come back up and we'll have a time of prayer here. We can, we can, God does not create workaholics. He does not create, he never made us to work seven days a week and just burn it at both ends of the candle, as some people said. But you can get addicted to work. You can get addicted to just doing stuff all the time. And I guess Jason was about, probably about five or six years of age, and we'd already been in ministry that, you know, we took our first pastor when he was three months old. And so he was like six, maybe even seven. And I was addicted to work. I loved doing what I was doing. When I first went into the ministry, I, I thought I wanted to be a chaplain in the military. And I went to MDiv classes and all this, and that did not work out. But when I got to pastor and I said, this is what God created me. This is... I love doing this. And one day, I walked into our house, and there was this little redhead standing there and says, it's not right for you to spend seven days a week over at the church, and you're not doing anything with your son, with our son. It's not right. I don't think God wants you to do that. And she's always been that. She's always been... I've never heard her yell. She doesn't even yell at Alabama games. I don't know. She just doesn't yell. She'll shake a little like, you know, a little. That, that's her yelling to the top of her lungs. She just, she never yelled at the kids. I've never heard her yell. Have you yelled before? You going to confess your sins today? Outside of my ears? I'm, I'm wounded. I didn't know you did that. <laughs> to the kids, you yelled at the kids? Your grandkids. You've yelled at grandkids. You haven't yelled at grandkids. <laughs> well, y'all pray for me after the service is over. <laughs> but I, I, honestly, I can never recall her ever raising her voice. But that day she spoke a word to me, and I was, it hit me right between the eyes because I love what I was doing. It was, it was like, high to me to go and do 
And I remember taking Jason, I started taking one day a week off, a Sabbath. When I came here, I set a day aside for my Sabbath that belonged to my family. And I realized this, I realized I had a distorted view of ministry and family. And a lot of people have this. And I hope if, if this idea is anywhere in people in ministry, there is no separation of family and ministry. Family is your ministry. And when we say the ministry and your family, we're, that's, that's a wrong way to look at it. Because you need to minister. I need to minister to my family. And from that point on, I've always, now I'll confess this, Friday, which is normally my Sabbath, was not a very good Sabbath. Because it, it had a lot of stuff going on. And I'm okay in adjusting my Friday. But she knows that Friday, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I need to do around the house. And I'm just speaking to some people here. God does not want you to be a workaholic. Never created you to work seven days a week. Never. That was never his intention for you. He worked seven days. He did work seven, six days. And he rested on the seventh. And he tells us, I created you to do that. I created you to do that. Someone in this room needs to hear one side or the other of that. That work is not a bad thing. It is something that God calls us to do. But he calls us to set aside time for him. Would you stand with me? Lord, I pray this morning. You gave this commandment. And the commandment now is that we have a Sabbath in you. That we have a rest in you. That you call us to your finished work. To enter into your rest. And Lord, you haven't called us. You even said to those who are weary and labor, Come, all that are weary and labor. And I will give you rest. And you're, and you're telling the weariness of people today who, who strive and who tried to get further ahead. And just seems like they can't get there. And. It's because they've orchestrated the effort. May they see you today calling them to your rest, to your completeness, your finished work of your son's death and resurrection. And I pray for anyone in this room that's really kind of been in limbo on that. You're calling them to fully commit themselves to you and to give what belongs to you to you and not to themselves and not to something else and I pray Lord that you'll just give somebody peace this morning about the next step they're going to take and really setting their week up different and spending time with you I want to pray for every person who really wants a Sabbath-like journey with Jesus. I don't even know how that's going to look like to you. I know what it looks like to me. But you want God to give you wisdom as to how to create this place of rest where you and Him just get close. And if that's you, I want you to just come and stand here. We're going to pray, and then we'll do